With Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, our online banking and mobile app are like having a branch at your fingertips. Insured by NCUA and with everything you need to use and manage your accounts 24-7. Hi, I'm Tom Obergfell of Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, inviting you to enjoy better banking where and when you want. Features include bill pay, money transfer, budgeting, early payday program, and much more. Check us out today at NotreDameFCU.com to learn more. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. I'm Kyle Hyman, here with our good bishop. And Bishop, you were, uh, not too long ago, elected as the chair for the USCCB's Religious Liberty Committee. Previously, you were chair of the Committee on Doctrine? Correct. So is this a an upgrade or a <laughs> lateral move here? Uh, I don't know. It's a lateral move. Okay. I've been chair of a few things. I was chair of the task force on health care, but also of the committee right. on laity, marriage, family, life, and youth. So this will be, and then doctrine. So this is first, fourth time being chair. And it's kind of nice to have had that year without being a chair of a USCCB committee because it increases my workload. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So have you already started working on some things? Were there things that were already in progress that you're taking over or how does that work? Well, I'm, I'm still chair-elect. I was elected last November by the U.S. bishops. And then once you're elected, you have a year as chair-elect on the, being chair-elect on the committee now. Okay. But I had also been a consultant to the committee years ago when I was chair of the Committee on Doctrine. So I have experience on the committee. It's a rather large committee. I mean, it has the same number of bishops as other committees, but it has a much larger number of consultants hmm. because this gets into a lot of different areas. It gets into healthcare, it gets mm-hmm. into legal matters, it gets into education. So there's there's a lot more consultants. There's a lot of political issues like what's going on in uh, the legislature and in the executive branch mm-hmm. that that pertain to religious liberty. And we found ourselves, you know, needing to work to protect our religious liberty. We've had some defeats, but we've also had some victories, especially with some of the recent Supreme Court decisions that mm-hmm. have protected religious liberty. So I'm not an expert in the area. I'm very grateful that we have the Notre Dame Law School because some of the best experts in the country are professors at the law school at Notre Dame, and they even have a special initiative at the law school in Notre Dame. It's on religious liberty. It's it's kind of like, a, I think they call it, I forget if they call it a center or an initiative, but some top-notch scholars on this. And that what a gift that is for the Church of the United States, but now for me personally as chair of the committee. Uh-huh. And of course, I'll have them on the, uh, some of them on the, as consultants for sure. Yeah. So does the USCCB, any of the committee members or anything like that, do they ever testify in some of these cases or is it more behind the scenes kind of stuff? They write, well, some of them are writers, so they write about different issues, but they also have been involved in amicus briefs for different cases, even to the Supreme Court. Okay. Yeah. I mean, really the importance of religious liberty, I mean, it can't be overestimated because it's such an important right to exercise our freedom in moral and religious matters. Mm-hmm. It's really an inalienable uh, requirement of the dignity of the human person. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the, the church teaches that this right 
uh, must be recognized and protected by civil authority within the limits, of course, of the common good and public order. That's the teaching of the Second Vatican Council. There's a document of the Second Vatican Council called Dignitatis Humanae, and it is the, doc, the Declaration of the Second Vatican Council on Religious Freedom. So it's an important part of the Church's magisterial teaching. And we've seen that the Church's teaching on this has evolved, has developed, the doctrine has developed through the centuries. Of course, there have been political and social changes through, this, uh, through the centuries, you know, different ideas of government and the state and the relationship of the state with religious traditions and with civil culture, with law. Mm-hmm. But the Church's teaching in Dignitatis Humanae shows a real progress in the Church's understanding of these relationships, especially our relationship with the state. And so the reflection upon our Christian teaching in this area, this was a great advance, Dignitatis Humanae. And of course, Popes Paul VI and John Paul II, Benedict and Francis, they have all um, spoken uh, about the importance of religious liberty. And our teaching is really rooted in revelation. And it's something that, you know, in some countries, they're very restricted. There are places where people don't even have the the freedom to worship, where it's outlawed, Mm. for example, to be a Christian, Mm -hmm. to become a Christian, or or where they have public worship or even any worship outlawed. You can think of places like Saudi Arabia or other countries, North Korea, even China, where there's a real oppression. Um, So, but then there's kind of what we could call a soft persecution that's in the Western world now, Mm -hmm. which is is very troubling because this has always been such an important value. And as we say, as the church teaches, this is part of the dignity of the human person. And we're not just talking about our freedom as Catholics or as Christians. We're talking about this is part of the very dignity of the human person that also calls for respect for different religions. And so even those that we disagree with. So the church believes, you know, that we also have a mission of evangelization where we bring our faith into the public square, but also we should have the freedom to evangelize the freedom to live out our faith, for example, by having our own institutions, Catholic healthcare institutions, Catholic schools, Catholic social services, you know, like Catholic charities. And sometimes there's efforts to infringe upon that. Some of those countries don't allow, some countries of the world don't allow the church to have schools mm. or to be involved in even social services or to have Catholic healthcare facilities. So, What's so beautiful about, you know, the um, U.S. Constitution and our tradition as American citizens is we have a strong tradition of religious liberty. It's enshrined in our Constitution, and it's been called our first and most cherished freedom, Hmm. and even the Founding Fathers. And that's why so many people who are under religious persecution came to the United States as immigrants and still come today for that reason. 
So it's of grave concern to us that there is a a certain uh, movement to cut that freedom back mm. or to try to force our, for example, our Catholic, I mean, no one's threatening our, our right to worship. I mean, that's, that's what is more threatened is the freedom to operate, for example, even our parishes, but also especially our schools and our healthcare facilities, according to our teachings. Mm -hmm. For example, we will not perform abortion, have abortions right. in our Catholic hospitals. Some want to force us right. and coerce us. That is a grave violation of religious liberty. So we're kind of on the defensive mm -hmm. and on this area. But as I said, we've had some recent successes. When the city of Philadelphia tried to force Catholic charities in Philadelphia, they had an order that they had to place children for adoption or foster care, even within same-sex marriage families. Right. And the they would not do it. And on the lower level, I th um, the church lost, mm -hmm. but when it got to the Supreme Court, the church won. Mm -hmm. So, so, but these kinds of coercive government intrusion continues to happen. I mean, or wanting to infringe upon our right, let's say in our schools, like we want to have the right to hire teachers who are going to support the teachings of the church mm -hmm. and, and strive to live by those teachings. So there are some efforts to violate that and say, for example, that we, we have to hire people who are living lifestyles that are in contradiction to the teachings of the church and, and we won't do it right. because that hurts our mission. Mm -hmm. I mean, we expect our teachers to act in conformity with the church, church's teachings, uh, if they're going to teach in our schools. You know, so there's all these kinds of things that are important for us that we have to remain vigilant. So a lot of these issues happen on the national level. A lot of these issues happen on a state level. How much do, is the, the committee, the USCCB committee, is that just concerned with the national level things? And then like there's state groups that would get involved at the state level or does the USCCB get involved at the state level as well? Yeah, I mean, on the state level, the, yes, the USCCB offers some assistance, for example, but it's more done by the state Catholic conferences, right. like here, the Indiana Catholic Conference. Okay. But there's communications with the national, mm -hmm. our national USCCB office. And when we have meetings, for example, we'll have reports, too, on what's going on on the state level, okay. not just on the national yeah. level, because they really intertwine, mm -hmm. and we have to be vigilant in all these areas. And of course, you know, we're fortunate, pretty fortunate in Indiana that there's pretty robust respect for religious freedom, but there's some other states where they have really infringed mm -hmm. on, on the rights of the church. Yeah. Has that resulted in the Catholic church having to get out of say healthcare in those states or adoption in certain states and stuff I like that? I think so. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I'd have to kind of do a little research to give you specifics, but but yes, that has happened. Mm -hmm. So is there any particular documents that you're working on right now? And it, it seems like this committee releases statements from time to time. And Correct. Well, the current chair is Cardinal Dolan, uh -huh. and he's done a great job. He's had some wonderful statements 
there's some strategies that have begun that I will want to continue, uh, especially our educational efforts. One of the priorities that I have going into this is I think we need to do more education of our people about this, in, in beginning with our high schools. You know, I don't know that it's really part of the curriculum of mm-hmm. our Catholic high school religion courses or even courses in government. So I would really like us to move in the direction of, you know, I, I think we really have to do a, a much more, a much better job in educating our people about religious liberty mm-hmm. because they are, many are being educated by, you know, the media. Mm-hmm. So those who, you know, are really want to limit our religious freedom and their arguments get a lot of play. Right. And sometimes Catholics aren't, or aren't really well equipped to answer some of their challenges. Mm -hmm. So I would like to really work on that. That's kind of one of the things. And they also, we've had talks of having some conferences, even a national conference on this, where Mm -hmm. we bring scholars together. I would love to do that. And even some publications. There's some very good publications now, but I think we could, like I mentioned, I'd love to see a little bit of a high school curriculum on this. Yeah. But even beyond that, we had religious liberty freedom of religion week, the end of June. Mm-hmm. And to me, I don't know that it's being observed by many. You know, I don't, I think when it began, it had more momentum. Yeah. And that was at the time of the contraceptive mandate, mm-hmm. if you remember, with the um, trying to force the little sisters of the poor and others to provide things that we would be against, et cetera, mm-hmm. in healthcare. But then it kind of, I don't know that we have our people as engaged in this as they need to be. So I think we have to brainstorm a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, is there a better way that we can bring this issue to the fore and help our people to understand its importance and why and that this is, as I, as the church teaches, this is part of the dignity of the human person, that no one should be forced to act against their convictions or to be restrained from acting in accordance with conscience in religious matters, either in private or in public. That's mm-hmm. what the Second Vatican Council taught. Of course, within due limits, because, you know, we have to be concerned for the common good and public order. So when we talk about religious freedom, we don't mean the freedom to, let's say, someone feels that, oh, my religion says that I can um, commit incest. Mm. Well, no. You know, so you have to be careful. We're talking about freedom that's aligned with truth. So anything that harms others or the freedom of others or the dignity of others, because there are, I mean can't claim religious freedom in that sense because it's not in accord with right reason. It's Mm -hmm. harmful to the common good. I mean, you see that with certain terrorist religious groups. I mean, a religion that thinks violence against is, is okay. No. So we're not talking about this unlimited, unbridled freedom. No, it has to be. That's why the church is very careful when it says, it speaks about due limits, Mm-hmm. do limits because we're talking about the respect for human dignity and that is fundamental and a religion that doesn't respect dignity of the human person that is not 
a true religion. So he gets here into the natural law right. and, and human reason. But I imagine that's the difficult thing with this for some people to, to agree to and to justify, because if two religions are contradicting each other, one religion says, say, that a same-sex couple should not be able to get married. The other religion says, no, they should be able to get married. Now you've got a conflict here of the freedom of religion. And, right. and then you know, if the majority is saying something contrary to church teaching. Yeah, yeah it, it's, that's where it gets murky. But, but you have to, I, I think one way to look at it is the right to religious liberty shouldn't be seen as moral license to adhere to error hmm. or a right to error. Vatican II documents, it talks about immunity from external constraint within just limits by political authorities. So this natural right, which, you know, law should respect, that doesn't mean it's, it's a right to do things that are, you know, going to hurt others or against common good. The example you give is very interesting because... What has happened is secularism and relativism in the culture has led to a dismissal of the very notion of truth mm. and a moral order. Mm -hmm. So kind of that leads to this radical individualism. Right. Yet people can determine from themselves for themselves, um, each individual, um, but as I said, so those who are, you know, in government or those who are elected, they have to wrestle with some of these things. Mm -hmm. How would we approach the marriage issue? The idea of marriage being between one man and one woman is, has an immemorial tradition throughout cultures, throughout the centuries. We see it as important for the common good. Mm -hmm. and for the raising of children. Mm -hmm. um, and that has been the common moral consensus throughout different religions, et cetera. But now we have a kind of a religion, this individualistic secular humanism, secularism and relativism that has brought that into question, saying there isn't really possibility. Admit that there are some, some objective truths. So this is where the conflict arises. But we do not see freedom as something that, it, we don't think it's authentic freedom if it's severed from the truth. Mm -hmm. Of course, that battle has been lost. And therefore, how do we as Catholics live in a society, in a country where, for example, same-sex marriage is legal? We should not be coerced to accept that. Mm -hmm. In other words, since the truth about marriage is no longer enshrined in law, mm -hmm. we should still have the freedom not to be forced to, for example, condone it mm -hmm. or to have to hire those who are in disagreement with church teaching. We should have the freedom to teach what we believe about marriage mm -hmm. in our schools. So yeah, that you brought up probably a really crucial issue. Well, and it's one of many. I, I mean, right, like there's gender a gender yep. is the next big thing. And as you mentioned, abortion and right, yeah. abortion. Yeah, I mean, those who want abortion to be legal, 
again, it's the relativism. Mm -hmm. They will not admit that this is a human life, or even if they admit that it is a human life, they feel that it's okay to kill that life. Mm -hmm. That is, I mean, again, for centuries across cultures, this was not seen as legitimate or, and, and now that moral consensus has been lost and, you know, the, the abortion is now seen as a right, whereas we see life as a right. So there is that conflict. But again, we need to be allowed and have the freedom not to have to cooperate with this, mm-hmm. to cooperate with abortion. And, those, and there are these efforts to coerce us. For example, you're not going to get government assistance in, in, for a Catholic healthcare facility unless it's going to give abortion, mm-hmm. you know, or you're not going to be eligible for Medicaid. Now, we haven't, we haven't gotten to that point, but there are efforts yeah. to do that. All right. Well, it sounds like you've got your work cut out for you in that committee. Yeah, yeah. How often do you meet? I'm trying to remember. I think it's four, four times a year. Okay. There's a lot of work that goes on. I mean, we have a staff in Washington. We have an office uh-huh. with a director, et cetera. So they're doing work all year round. Mm-hmm. But then when we kind of, we direct the staff, uh, the committee directs the staff on its work. I would want to mention, you know, there's a really good, I mean, we have many good scholars at Notre Dame on this at the law school. Richard Garnett is one of them. Mm. And he has written some wonderful things. I highly recommend Professor Garnett. And I recently read an article that he wrote on religious liberty, and I thought it was very helpful. It talks about three views of religious liberty. And Professor Garnett says, well, one approach, this is views in the United States, one approach he calls freedom from religion. This emphasizes the right of individuals to be free from coercion in matters of religion and then to have the space to freely respond to religious truth claims. So this view of freedom from religion, however, sees religion as having no place in public life. Okay. It accepts, okay, yes, this is a social reality. This is religion. But they basically see it, religion, as a danger to the common good. So those who have this view of religious freedom, freedom from religion, basically want to confine it to the private, personal realm. So, you know, don't bring it into the public policy. Don't, it's it's something that's not seen as, as important. So there would be a an idea of kind of limiting the role of religion just to, okay, freedom for worship, that's okay, but we don't want you trying to influence public life or public policy. So they really are just kind of to accommodate religious practices in the private area. That's not a very robust view of religious liberty to be just freedom from religion. Uh I mean, that's part of it, but it's not, I mean, it it limits it. Um, And then the second approach that Professor Garnett speaks about is freedom of religion. 
which emphasizes like toleration, okay, being neutral, equal treatment. You know, a lot of people, religion's important to them. So this approach doesn't permit religion to be singled out for discrimination or special hostility. So it's, you know, just trying to be even-handed, that everybody has a right to express their views, to live according to their consciences. So religious believers are also entitled to this. So really the law should be kind of blind to religion. So this view isn't hostile to religion, but it doesn't really regard religion as anything special. Mm. It's just freedom. It's just liberty that everyone has an equal right to this. So there's no accommodations or privileges and there's no burdens or disadvantages. It's really kind of like it's tolerated. Mm-hmm. Okay. The third model is freedom for religion. And this is kind of what can be spoken of as, according to Professor Garnett, as healthy secularism. So here it's recognized that the search for religion's truth is important, that religion is special, that this is something valuable. It's something good, that it should be not only accommodated, but supported. Mm -hmm. So freedom for religion. So this doesn't mean that the government demands, you know, that certain religious observances or anything like that, but it does recognize that human beings are transcendent by nature and that they are called to seek the truth and to search for God. How that happens, it depends on each steps, but the government should make sure that there is this freedom for religion so that this exercise of religious freedom then is supported, it's nurtured. So the government just doesn't not discriminate against religion. It tries to accommodate it and facilitate it. It recognizes the separation or the distinction between church and state, but it doesn't put unnecessary burdens on religion. It sees that uh, this is good for society. Mm. And that's the most closest to what the church teaches in Dignitatis Humanae. That, you know, it's it's, uh, immunity from coercion. The state should not coerce people to violate their religious convictions. But there's also this freedom for, a a positive that people should be free to seek and act in accordance with the truth. Let me just give you a quote from Dignitatis Humanae, because I think it really does get at this. It says, It is in accordance with their dignity as persons, that is, beings endowed with reason and free will, and therefore privileged to bear personal responsibility, that all people should be at once impelled by nature and also bound by a moral obligation to seek the truth, especially religious truth. So the society shouldn't prevent people from living out their religion. They should foster the conditions for religion to flourish. So Dignitatis Humanae says government ought to indeed to take account of the religious life of the citizenry, citizenry, 
and show it favor since the function of government is to make provision for the common welfare. So I think those distinctions are helpful in understanding religious liberty. So I do, do recommend do a Google search of Richard Garnett, professor of Notre, at Notre Dame, and his various writings on religious freedom. Yeah, and I think I found the article that you're talking about is What is Religious Freedom? It's on the USCCB's website, First Correct. Freedom Blog. So I'll put a link for that in the show notes for this. You can find that at spokestreet.com slash askbishop and just click on this episode and see the, the description there for that link. Excellent. Or just do a search for Richard Garnett and What is Religious Freedom? Yeah. It'll probably pop up as well. Now, I know we usually, of course, finish with my blessing, but I thought we could finish with a prayer for the protection of religious liberty that's also on the USCCB website. Okay, sounds great. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O God, our Creator, from your provident hand, we have received our right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You have called us as your people and given us the right and the duty to worship you, the only true God and your Son, Jesus Christ. Through the power and working of your Holy Spirit, you call us to live out our faith in the midst of the world, bringing the light and the saving truth of the gospel to every corner of society. We ask you to bless us in our vigilance for the gift of religious liberty. Give us the strength of mind and heart to readily defend our freedoms when they are threatened. Give us courage in making our voices heard on behalf of the rights of your church and the freedom of conscience of all people of faith. Grant, we pray, O Heavenly Father, a clear and united voice to all your sons and daughters gathered in your church in this decisive hour in the history of our nation, so that with every trial withstood and every danger overcome, for the sake of our children, our grandchildren, and all who come after us, this great land will always be one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, come upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. It's engineered by Josh Skipper at the Diocese of Fort Wayne South End, produced by Miriam Schmitz and edited by Tony Marks for Spoke Street Media. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.